got to church early this morning for uh, choir practice. And uh, during practice, I thought, I'm going to have to work with Laura Land this week to learn that song. I didn't know we were going to perform it this morning, but it uh, turned out beautifully. Um, I'm, glad to see I'm glad to see each of you here. It's an exciting day. Um, a couple weeks ago, two, three, four, a long time ago, I was talking to Woody in the foyer. And, uh, and he said, hey, uh, a gal came and asked me if, in fact, you're going to preach on the 28th. And I kind of stiffened up. You know, I didn't know how that conversation was going to turn out. And he said, yeah, I told her that you are going to preach on the 28th. And uh, she was disappointed because she's not going to be in town. She's going to miss it. So I thought, oh, you must have been talking to my mother. So, you know, who else would uh, miss that? So it, anyway, it is an honor to speak with you this morning. It's, uh, it's an honor to open the word to a body of believers. It really is. You hear that a lot, but it really is. It really is an honor. And, uh, and what's more, it's an honor to uh, speak with you on Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. And uh, Palm Sunday is the day on which we celebrate um, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, that's a big word. If you don't know what that is, we'll, we'll get to that. That's okay. But it's an important event in uh, Christian history. And, uh, and, that's, and we're celebrating that day today. We're going to read about it, and we're going to try and learn what the Holy Spirit has to say to us about it. Um, Palm Sunday is a Sunday, um, but it's actually the first day of Passion Week. Now, some denominations or churches call that Holy Week. And it's, it's, really, the, it's really the kickoff of an, uh, of an eight-day celebration, an eight-day remembrance of the things that uh, Jesus did during his last week of his earthly ministry. And, uh, and a lot, uh, quite a number of things actually happened during that week. Um, there was Palm Sunday, which, we're, which we are celebrating today. There was the cleansing of the temple, which is where Jesus cleaned out the merchants and the livestock auction yards, not auction yards, but the livestock yards from the temple. He basically cleaned out um, a lot of uh, bad influences that were doing business in the temple. Um, the Lord's Supper, the crucifixion, the resurrection. There's a lot of important things, incredibly important things that happened during the last week of Jesus' uh, ministry on earth. In fact, while I was preparing for this sermon, it was the first time I ever noticed that how many of the parables in the Gospels are parables from the last week. That there, he, Jesus spent two or three days in the temple preaching uh, during Passion Week. And uh, a lot of the parables we have are his, uh, are his last parables. So, um, so I, I'd, like to, I'd like to give you a suggestion. Um, the, the week... The events of Passion Week are covered in the Gospels. The Gospels are a name that we give to the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of those Gospels, each of those books, uh, covers the events of Passion Week and does so in about five or six chapters. And I'd like to suggest that you pick one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And this week, um, uh, read a chapter a day. I mean, the whole, all those events are covered in five or six chapters, and it will be an excellent way for you to celebrate Passion Week and to prepare yourself for Easter Sunday next week. Have you ever shown up to church on Easter Sunday and said, oh yeah, it's Easter, I forgot. I have. And in those cases, I was unprepared, really, to celebrate the most important Christian holiday that we have. So, I'd like to suggest, I'd like to challenge, I'd like to ask, please, this week, pick one of the Gospels. If, if you have a, a pencil, could I give you some uh, citations real quick? If you want to do Matthew, it's chapters 21 through 28. If you want to do Mark, it's uh, chapters 11 through 16. If you want to do Luke, it's uh, chapter 19 and then skip ahead and do 22 through 24. And if you want to do the book of John, 
It's uh, chapters 12 and 13, and then 18 through 21. You know, let's celebrate Jesus this week. Let's, uh, let's celebrate Passion Week and prepare ourselves to celebrate Easter. Okay, let me uh, also turn your attention to the uh, sermon handout. There's a handout in your bulletin. And one side of it is just pretty much blank for notes if you want to take notes. But the other side, um, the other side is, uh, is what's called a harmony of the Gospels. I'm going to set this right here. Now, this is, uh, this is not really anything, you know, magical or terribly scholarly for that matter. But as I said a moment ago, there are four books in the New Testament that cover the events of Passion Week, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you read those events from any one account, you miss some of the details included by the others. So, I mean, it wasn't hard. I, I sat down and I read the, the four passages, the four accounts, and merged them into a single account. And uh, that, that's nothing new. A lot of guys have done that, not just with Passion Week, but with all the events the Gospels covered. And it's called a harmony, a harmony of the Gospels. So, in a, in a little while, we're going to read this harmonized account. And if you don't like that, that's, that's okay. You feel free to pick any Gospel you like. You can follow along, or you can read with me out of this harmony, or you can just sit back and listen. Whatever you like best. Some some advantages of a harmony is that if you uh, if you were to read this is just by you know for example if you were to read the events of Passion Week from say only Matthew's account, then uh, you would very reasonably conclude that Jesus cleansed the temple. He kicked out all those merchants um, the same day as the triumphal entry. But if you read the gospel, if you read the account in Mark, you find out he didn't do that until another time. And, uh, and likewise, if you read the whole account just from Mark, then uh, you'd miss the fact, well, I don't know if most of you guys probably are aware of the event, and we'll read it in a second, but the triumphal entry was a big, day, a big deal. Jesus rode into town, it was like the Rose Parade, except it was the Jesus Parade, quite literally. And, um, but anyway, if you read that account from only Mark, then you would miss... Uh, you wouldn't even know that Luke records that although that day was a celebratory, exciting, happy day, Jesus wept. It was an emotional, sad day for Jesus. How interesting, how ironic. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, that, that's why it's valuable to read from all the accounts. And uh, Anyway, that's why I've produced this, um, this harmony. I'm a little concerned you guys might be bothered by this. I, I didn't create scripture. I, I just, uh, I just uh, assembled it. In an unusual way. So I, I, I didn't want anybody to be concerned about that. Okay. So, um, and one, one, uh, just a couple last notes before we actually read and get into the, get into the text. Um, I'll give you a little background on where Jesus and his disciples had literally come from uh, in, uh, in preparation in the days just preceding Holy, uh, Passion Week. And uh, it's always kind of fun to read, um, to, to put it in a historical context. Jesus uh, and his disciples and about a jillion other people, maybe not a jillion, but very many uh, Israelites um, were traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate a Jewish holiday called Passover. It was actually the law. All the Jewish men were supposed to attend. It's either two or three. I can't remember that exact number. They were supposed to come to Jerusalem to um, celebrate important Jewish holidays. And so Jesus and his disciples were doing that. And so there was this great migration to Jerusalem. It was a crowded place. Lots of people were coming. And uh, you know, and if you had to, if you had to migrate to, um, if you had to migrate to Carson City twice a year, and you had good friends in Carson City, where would you stay? You'd stay with your good friends. And so that's what Jesus did. Um, uh, just six days before the actual event, he got there early. 
But six days before Passover, Jesus arrived at Lazarus' home, the home of Lazarus. Now, uh, he had been, Jesus and his disciples, had been in Jericho. You know, the one where the walls fell down, they were rebuilt. Anyway, um, Jesus had been in Jericho, and he was staying in the house of Zacchaeus. You know, the wee little man? A wee little man, was he? If you don't, need, if you don't know that song, you need to go back to third grade Sunday school. They will teach you that song. Anyway, that was, that, that was the Zacchaeus. And from Zacchaeus' home, Jesus and his disciples traveled the 18 miles all uphill on foot. He traveled 18 miles to, um, to Bethany, which is where Lazarus lived. Now, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. They lived together. But um, so, uh, so anyway, it, it, was, uh, it, was a long, it was a long hike. And uh, this Lazarus is the same Lazarus whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, he didn't raise Lazarus from the dead on, in, you know, on this day. That was a little bit previous. Okay, so, um, all right, so when? When did he get there? Well, if you believe that Jesus was, uh, well, first of all, a little biblical trivia here. What day did Jesus, was Jesus crucified on? It's a trick question. Uh, we, for, his, for centuries, we've celebrated Good Friday. Well, I suggest to you that it really should have been Good Thursday. We, uh, we know that Jesus raised from the dead on a Sunday. That's, a, that's very well attested to historically. But, uh, but Jesus said himself he had to be three days and three nights in the tomb. He died, not two days and three nights, not two nights and three days. Jesus said very explicitly, three days, three nights. If you do the math backwards, that means Thursday. And then if you do the math backwards from the gospel that said he showed up six days early, then we have Jesus arriving at Bethany, which is two miles from Jerusalem, Lazarus' house. Anyway, we have Jesus showing up on a Friday. Okay? Now, why is that? That's not terribly important, but it's kind of interesting because when does the Jewish Sabbath start? Now, the Sabbath was the Jewish day of rest and the day on which they uh, worshipped, but most importantly, it was the day on which they rested. And that event, the Sabbath... Um, um, I don't want to get too far afield here, but sometimes, have you ever noticed the Gospels will say an event happened at the sixth hour and a different Gospel will say the same event happened at the third hour or something like that? It's because the timing, the time schemes were different between the Roman mindset and the Jewish mindset. The Jewish mindset said the day began at dusk. So at dinner time was a new day, right? The Sabbath began at sundown. Began at sundown, okay? So Jesus walked in, ate the second half, presumably, of a two-day journey from Jericho. He gets to Bethany, Friday afternoon. Now, I bet you he was hoofing it. I bet they were trying to get there fast before the... Exactly right. Now, you guys know the signal. That's good. Okay, so he had to get there before the Sabbath, which began at sundown. So he and his disciples are looking at the sun while they go. Are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? Or let's go faster. So they got to... I'm, I'm putting forth for your consideration that they got to Bethany, Lazarus' house, Friday afternoon. Tired. Hot. Right, in anticipation of the special Sabbath dinner that would be served Friday night. Now, guys, if you know the stories, there's stories in the Gospels about Lazarus' sister, uh, Martha. There's also stories about Mary, but Martha was the worker bee, right? So we know that Jesus stayed at Lazarus' home. We don't know where Jesus' disciples stayed, but I bet you Martha found homes for all of them to stay in. Don't you think? I bet she did. And, uh, and I bet there was no messing around. You know, I bet it was like uh, eating at Laverne Alba's house when dinner's at five, dinner's at five. You know, is Laverne here? Okay, don't tell her I said that. But uh, so that's just my perception. And so, um, and so this was perfect timing because the Gospels tell us that um, Lazarus, a.k.a. Martha, um, gave a special dinner party for Jesus that night. So Jesus and his disciples come in from Jericho. They get there in time for a Friday night special Sabbath dinner that is in that is held in Jesus' honor. Okay, 
So they, uh, they have a special Sabbath dinner. They, uh, they go to bed. Now, uh, the Bible doesn't say this, but un- in my opinion, undoubtedly, Jesus and uh, his disciples and Lazarus and his family cele- um, rested on the Sabbath. Now, rested began Friday night. So they rested Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon. Okay, And, that, and at Saturday evening, the Sabbath concluded because that was the beginning of a new day. Does that make sense? Okay. So let me see if I got it all here. Okay. So fri- uh, so fri- he show- they show up. Now I'm, now I'm confused. They showed up on a Friday. Thursday. Friday. They showed up on a Friday. Thank you. Saturday, they rest. That's right. Now we're on board. Saturday, they rest. Saturday, dusk, the Sabbath concludes. Jesus and his disciples get up. And uh, this is just evening time. Sun's starting to go down. And they head the two miles to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. Now, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, tells us that this was an evening event. Now, I went to Sunday school for lots of years as a kid. Every picture I ever saw of the triumphal entry was, you know, bright 12 noon, right? The Gospel of Mark tells us this was an evening event. And it plays well with the chronology. Jesus waited in Bethany two miles away until the, until the conclusion of the Sabbath. And then Saturday, what we would say is Saturday night, but what they would say is a new day, Jesus got up and they went in. Okay? All right, so that kind of sets the stage. So if, uh, if all of these assumptions are right, then uh, the triumphal entry, I'm suggesting to you, the triumphal entry happened on a Saturday evening, five days before a Thursday crucifixion. All right, so let's read. Let's read the uh, harmony. If uh, you can turn to your handout or you can listen, whichever you like better. Okay, so, at, I'm, uh, so anyway, here we go. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a donkey tied there with her colt, which no one has ever ridden. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and the owner will send the animals right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And they found a colt outside in the street, tied in a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? The Lord needs it, they replied. And the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way into Jerusalem. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now, now it's hidden from your eyes. 
These days, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children in your walls, the children with your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Isn't that a great story? Wouldn't you like to have been there? Anybody ever been to the Rose Parade? I have. It's great. The Rose Parade's probably nothing compared to this. This would have been a great, great, exciting day. And uh, and before we actually talk about the whole notion of why Jesus did it and why he did it this way, uh, this passage, a couple observations just kind of leap off the page to me, and probably probably you too. Um, I love how this story starts. The story starts with, you know, as they approached Jerusalem and they came to this village, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, go ahead of us and get a donkey. You guys know that? I'll read it to you. Go, um, uh, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a donkey there tied with her colt, which no one has ever ridden. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them, oh, and he, the Lord, he will send him, them back here shortly, and the owner will send the animals right away. Now, how comfortable would you be running that errand? I would not have wanted to be the guy that Jesus picked. To, he picked two of them. We don't know which two. Um, and uh, they had to uh, go do this. Now imagine, imagine you're, uh, imagine you're hanging out with Jesus, and he, he says, Drew, I want you to go to Rayleigh's, and you, when you get there, you're going to find a blue car. Immediately, I would think, which blue car? <laughs> he said, you're going to find a blue car, and when you look inside the window, the keys are going to be ignition. I want you to get in and bring me the car. <laughs> right? In America, didn't we hang people for stealing donkeys? Right? It says, you'll find one of the, you know, find a blue car, bring it to me. Oh, and by the way, if anybody hassles you or tries to arrest you, just tell them the Lord needs it. Does that sound like a good idea? You know? And, uh, th- this would be a kind of a concerning, concerning little episode. How comfortable would you be running this errand? Now, this errand was risky, a little risky. And, uh, ironically, when God asks you to do anything, I shouldn't say anything, all, in my experience, frequently, when God asks me to do something, it's risky. Have you guys found that to be true? It's, it's, it's often risky. Now, we, don't have, we do have lots of um, records in the Gospels of the disciples blowing it. Of the disciples, uh, Jesus called them faithless or ye of little faith many times. But interestingly, in this account, we have no mention of the disciples messing up. That's good, right? Good thing. It's the tail end of his ministry, right? <laughs> they didn't have much more time. But uh, in this instance, we have no record of the disciples doing anything but simply obeying, simply going and doing. Uh, you know, maybe they, maybe the disciples had, had gotten to a point where they had learned to stop questioning Jesus and just do what he says. Have you learned that lesson? That's a hard lesson to learn. That's a hard, that's a lesson I'm trying to learn every day. You know, um, has Jesus asked you currently, is Jesus asking you to do something hard, to do something risky? Um, I, I just tried to brainstorm. Are, are, um, are you worried 
about what your family will say if you bring up Jesus. That could be a risky thing for you to do. Are you worried you don't have enough money to tithe, even though God asks you to tithe? Not because God needs your money, but he wants your heart. And usually we store our money in our heart. Anyway, are you worried that you don't have enough money to tithe? Are you worried, are you worried that water baptism will be embarrassing, even though Jesus commands all believers to be baptized in water? Are you worried that if you teach a Bible study, oh my goodness, teach a Bible, are you worried that if you teach a Bible study or teach a Sunday school class, you'll look stupid? Now these are all legitimate concerns, you know, equal, at least as risky as going and getting somebody else's donkey. But you know what? Uh, you need to stop questioning, we need to stop questioning Jesus and just go get the donkey. This has become kind of a little tag phrase for me this week. I need to stop questioning Jesus and just go get the donkey. Okay, so that's that's one observation. It spoke to me. I hope it spoke, spoke to you. Another observation from this story, the divided crowd. Or actually, let's just say the crowd. Um, you know, unlike the cheers of those that followed and followed Jesus, escorted Jesus in to Jerusalem that day, the religious leadership had long since criticized um, you know, uh, uh, ob- um, obstructed and uh, condemned Jesus. They would have nothing to do with him. They thought he was bad news from the beginning. In fact, we have multiple accounts in the Gospels where they had uh, decided and planned and un- unsuccessfully so far, looked for ways to kill him. Not only him, but Lazarus as well, because Lazarus, brought, Lazarus, the guy that Jesus rose from the dead, brought so much attention to Jesus indirectly, they decided to kill him too. And uh, how interesting... You know, don't mistakenly believe that the, the shouts of those people escorting Jesus in, don't believe that they were representative of the whole city. You know, I used to think that the crowd was just fickle. That, you know, on Saturday, I'm getting this straight, Saturday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. That's what we would call Saturday night, anyway, whatever day it was. Anyway, um, I used to think that they, uh, that they cheered him one day, and three days later they yelled, crucify him. And how fickle that their emotions would swap back and forth. I've, I've since retracted that opinion. I think it was just a lot of people in the city. And the city had many, many, many people that loved him and many, many people that hated him. You know, Jesus is a polarizing issue. A lot of people don't give him enough thought to, to, to let him really affect them. But anyone who confronts the teachings and the person of Jesus will be polarized. Look at the uh, abortion question in our country. Look at the gay marriage, the gay rights question in our country. You know, Jesus has that effect, did have that effect on people then, and Jesus has that effect on people today. How interesting. Okay, another uh, observation that jumps out at me. Did you see that he wept? What was up with that? Why? This was a happy day. I mean, the people are cheering. How, it can't, does it get better than that? Why on earth was Jesus uh, emotional? And uh, upset about this day. Here, listen again. He says, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children with your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. Wow, don't those words just kind of hang in the air? Because you, you just didn't notice. You didn't get it. You weren't paying attention. You did not know. You did not, what were his words? You did not recognize the time 
of God's coming. Now, I, try, I thought a lot about this this week. Why did Jesus weep? You know, he mentions here in the passage the destruction of Jerusalem. And by the way, that happened just the way he said it would. You know, and maybe he wept because he saw, foresaw the carnage of that day, the destruction and the murder and the slaughter of that. Maybe that, and that's a valid reason. Maybe that's why he wept. Maybe he wept over the stubbornness of his own people because he knew that there was great resistance to him in the city. Maybe both. Maybe other reasons as well. I don't know. But, uh, but I, I can't get those words out of my head, if only you had known. You know, and the suggestion there is, if only you'd paid attention, because you could have known. You know? um, is, uh, is something tragic? Let me, re- let me rephrase that. You know, when I think of Jesus' words when he said, if only you had known, I can't, let me quote it. Let me, if only you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. The, you know, even, even though I don't necessarily understand why Jesus wept from his words, and from his tears, I can say, very safely conclude that something tragic was happening. And something tragic was happening that could have been prevented. I think that's pretty safe to conclude. And then I think of my life, and I think of your lives. Is something tragic happening in your life? Are we missing God in our midst? Is God here and wanting to do something in your life today, this week? Is, does, has God called you to... Is God, does God want to move and has God ridden into your life and we're just not getting it, we're just not seeing it, didn't notice. Sorry, got to go to work. Dinner will be ready soon, don't have time. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be us. Now let's pay attention. Let's, let's not miss uh, God riding in. Okay, so those are, uh, those are the, all the vignettes that uh, spoke to me. Let's, let's look at the historical event of the uh, of the triumphal entry itself. Let's turn our attention there to Palm Sunday. Why was it significant that Jesus would ride in to town on a donkey? Well, there's a few reasons. First of all, it was tradition. It was an Israeli tradition, something we might easily miss. You know, in Fallon we have traditions. In Fallon, America, we have some traditions of our own. If you uh, if you were walking Main Street and suddenly you saw 200 seems like a 1,000. But anyway, if you saw 200 little kids in fluorescent soccer jerseys and behind them were deafening fire trucks and no matter where you went, people pelted you with candy, would you know what was happening? Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Is that 4th of July or Labor Day? Is it Labor Day? It's a parade, right? It's a Fallon Labor Day parade. And you'd know. You'd see it. And that quickly, you'd know exactly what was happening. You'd know what the people are doing. You'd know where they were going, why they were doing it. And, and furthermore, you'd think it's fun. You'd want to be a part of that because you got it. You would know the tradition. Okay, what if, um, what if you came out of the movie theater one night and to your surprise, you found hundreds of people. I'm talking about our movie theater, right? We only have one. And uh, if uh, you, came out and, uh, you came out at night uh, only to find there are hundreds of people in the freezing cold of night, they blocked off the streets, and everyone's standing outside, and these machines are spitting stuff on their heads. Do you know what I'm talking about? Spitting fake snow on their heads. And everyone is standing around this enormous spruce. Would you know what was happening? That fast, you would know exactly what is happening. It's the Christmas tree lighting. It's a, it's a tradition. It's a Fallon tradition. No one would have to explain it to you. Someone probably did at some point. But you would see it, and you would immediately recognize what was happening. 
Um, in the same way, same way, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was an Israeli tradition. People saw it and they knew what it meant. Um, to, when we read the account, when I read the account, it's kind of obscure. It seems kind of unimportant, but to them, it was obvious and it was important. Well, what's the deal? If, uh, if you feel free to make a note, this is actually quoted by Matthew in the account, Zechariah 9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It was a tradition. It was customary for, the, for Israeli kings to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey or a mule. Don- I don't know why. Anyway, one of those two. A donkey or a mule. And, and they wouldn't just go anywhere. They would ride to the temple get off, stand between the pillars of the temple, and everyone would cheer. And that was, that was like, uh, it was like, a, what do we call it, a inauguration day? That, anyway, when the president becomes the new president. Anyway, it was, it was an Israeli tradition. That's how King Solomon did it. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 1. That's how King Joash did it. You can read about it in 2 Chronicles 23. When the people saw this, when they saw Jesus on a colt riding in, riding to the temple, they knew. What was happening? Word was out. Now, and this helps us, helps me understand the response of the crowd. Do you remember what they yelled as Jesus came in? They said, blessed is the king of Israel. Why would they yell that? Because Jesus was doing something they understood to be a claim of kingship. They didn't say, hey, welcome home. Happy Passover. They said, blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, without any prompting, the crowd associated Jesus' actions with a claim to the crown, a claim to the kingship. They got it. I guess that's the short of it. They got it. They knew exactly what he, it was. a message from Jesus that they understood. But it was actually even a little bigger than that. It wasn't, I shouldn't say just, it wasn't just Jesus claiming to be king. It was, it was bigger than that because this crowd knew who Jesus was. Um, They knew he wasn't just another rebel leader trying to oust the occupying Romans. They they had seen Jesus perform miracles. He wasn't just some uh, national zealot trying to scratch out national independence. uh, This man was empowered by God. And uh, um, the people undoubtedly, I can't help but think, the people undoubtedly hoped that he was not simply someone claiming to be king, but he was the king. The king they had waited for. The king they had looked and yearned for. And you might be thinking, well, what king was that? You know, what king were they waiting for? Well, let me give you a little bit more background. Years before Jesus did this, years before King David, you know, with David and Goliath and everything, same, same David. Anyway, King David uh, uh, looked around and he saw he was living in a palace. His kingdom was well established. And he saw that the Ark of the Covenant, which was a gold, big gold box about the size of a hope chest, about half the size of this thing, um, was in a tent. And that box, by the way, was a symbol of God's presence. So it was important. So King David lived in a palace, and, and God lived in a tent. So he called uh, the head prophet, who was Nathan at the time, said, well, you know, this doesn't seem right to me. I want to build God a temple, a special house. I want to build a house for God. And Nathan was very supportive. He said, sure, do, it, you know, do whatever you think is best, because God is with you. So that was great. Well, that night, uh, Nathan must have spoken too soon. 
because that night God appeared to Nathan in a vision and kind of put the brakes on. <laughs> and, uh, and this is what God said to Nathan. Actually, this is what God told Nathan to say to David. This is 2 Samuel 7, if you, if you want to keep notes. It says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish a throne, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Now, God was pleased with David's heart. He wasn't mad at David for wanting to do this, in my opinion. The Bible doesn't say that explicitly. But I believe God was pleased with David's heart. And um, it was as if God said, it's not your place to build a house for me. And then God kind of used that as a play on words. He said, you want to build a house for me? I, in fact, am going to build a house for you. You wanted to build a building. I am going to turn your family line, your house, I'm going to turn your family line into an eternal legacy. That's a good deal. That's quite a blessing. And, uh, and David was you know, overwhelmed, and he was grateful for that promise. Anyway, God promised a king to come from David who would rule forever, which is very interesting. That, that family line would never end. Okay? So, who was God describing? Well, King David had a son, uh, king Solomon, wisest man. Anyway, King Solomon became king after King David and did, in fact, build a temple for God, right? So was Solomon the fulfillment of that? I suggest not. Because what were the conditions? What did God promise? God promised a king. He would raise up a king, a descendant of David, whose family line would never stop ruling the uh, nation of Israel. Well, Solomon's throne, uh, Solomon's kingdom stopped, ended, Right? So Solomon's family is not on the throne of Israel today. Furthermore, nobody called Solomon, ever called Solomon God's son. God told David, I will be his father and he will be my son. And furthermore, God's told David that I'll raise this person up when you're dead. Solomon became king before David passed away. So Solomon's not that guy. When God made this prophecy about a great king to come, Solomon didn't fit the bill. It wasn't Solomon. And everybody in the crowd following Jesus that day knew it. They knew it wasn't Solomon. They were looking for someone else, someone special. And they were hoping Jesus is it. So now, with that information, do you see why that helps us understand some of the other things the crowd yelled back to Jesus? Not only did they say, blessed is the king of Israel, because you're riding in on a donkey. Not only did they say, blessed is the king of Israel, they said, Hosanna to the son of David. Why would they say that? Because they were looking for the son of David, the descendant of David, to come and set up the kingdom forever. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Wow, I mean, that's just so pointed. They got it. They were hoping that Jesus was the one. All right, so... uh, so was Jesus, just you know, point of reference, was Jesus the one, the king, that God promised? Well, yeah, of course. What other descendant of David could possibly rule forever? Had to be Jesus. Had to be Jesus. Okay, now trick question. Did Jesus actually fulfill, completely fulfill, the prophecy? No. Strangely, not what I would have expected. No. Did Jesus, on that day of triumphal entry, did he, did he kick out the Romans? Did he set up a kingdom? Did he rule? Did he sit on the throne? And is he ruling on a throne in Israel today? No. 
If you go to, if you talk to any Israelite, any, I'm talking about today, Israeli, any Israeli today and you ask him, is Jesus the king of Israel? What will he say? No. And he'll probably say it a little more colorfully than that. Right? No. And, uh, and so why, why on earth did Jesus not complete fulfillment? Now he clearly rode in to town on a donkey declaring the beginning of his kingship, but he didn't finish. He didn't set up his throne. He didn't completely fulfill the prophecy. Why? Well, that's an awfully good question. Why, 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 why? Well, if, if you think about it, if Jesus had rode in and kicked out the Romans and set up an earthly kingdom with himself as the king in Israel, would he have then gone to the cross? I don't think so. Why would, the, why would the people crucify their own king? Apart from Christ's crucifixion, could any of us hope, to achieve, hope for justification? No. Jesus knew he had a more important task. He rode in and initiated his kingdom, but he did not complete it. There will, it was not the right day. There will come a day when Jesus sets up a kingdom and rules Israel. But it will be his second coming, not his first not his first. Okay? So, so the essence of the triumphal entry was Jesus' claim to kingship. I mean, that's why he did it. There was no other reason for him to ride in on a donkey like that. The people of Jerusalem got it. They understood Jesus' claim. They, uh, they simply responded to it differently, in different ways. You know, so do people today. So do people today. You know, Zechariah said, rejoice, rejoice. Um, shout, see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. You know, Jesus rode into town that day and he rides in to our hearts today. He rides in metaphorically into our lives today, gentle and having salvation. But he rides in as king. He rides in as king. We can own him as king, we can submit to him as king, and we can cheer in the coronation parade. Or we can resist him and uh, cling to our own kingdoms and, uh, and not be part of his. Let me summarize just a few of the things that I hope, I hope you learn <laughs> from this morning. Um, you know, God uh, inevitably will ask you to do something that stretches you, that tests you, that makes you a little uncomfortable. In those moments, if you push him off and say no, you'll regret it. You really will. And if, uh, if you just go get the donkey, it'll be a great day. Second thing, Jesus polarizes people. Don't be surprised if your friends swing one po- pendulum way or the other based on your Christianity. Jesus polarizes people. Let's not be surprised about it. Let's, uh, let's just embrace it. Um, Jesus' words, if they had only known what would bring them peace. But they missed it because they did not recognize the coming of God that day. Let's not be in that crowd. I don't want to be in that crowd. If God is moving in your life, speaking, moving, doing, acting, then let's pay attention. Let's be aware and attentive to the movement of God in our lives. And finally, this is Palm Sunday, right? Finally, Jesus has ridden into town. He has declared his kingship. And now he's looking for subjects. Let's, let's be part. Let's celebrate today and the rest of this week. This is Passion Week. Let's celebrate Christ's kingdom and the beginning thereof. Let's pray.